flash. If you see your father, tell him to trust no one. My father's dead. So this guy said he used to work with Dad on something called the uh, Portage Initiative. This is about my father. I need to know. He was lost in a dimensional rift. We opened a door that should never have been opened. You're saying he could still be alive somewhere? That would be a rift. Don't even think about it. He's over there. I have to find him. Where are we? I'm Ming. Welcome to Mason City. Three weeks ago, rifts started happening again. Things started to come through. Great. Yeah. We got another alien on the loose. That sucked. Let's try one more time. Well, Tao and I will both laugh while you rabble slave in the prison city of the Hawkman. Death would be more desirable. As for you, Dale Arden, you shall be taught to act like my empress. Doomed to a fate worse than death among the cruel Hawkmen. What terrifying adventures await our friends? Be sure to listen in again next week and hear the further amazing adventures of Flash Gordon and Dale Arden, who appear in full-color pictures next Sunday in the 32-page Comic Weekly supplement of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Dateline Jessum is next on the Gridley Wave Network. From the Chicago Bureau of the Bosnian Blade. Dateline Jessum. The Panthen Press Production. For fans of Edgar Rice Burroughs and Pulp Adventure. Here's your host, Elmo. Welcome to show number 38. Thanks for joining me. I had to play those Flash Gordon clips at the beginning just to show you the grand difference between this new weird version of Flash Gordon that the Sci-Fi Channel is running, which I tried to get into, but I only lasted into about 15 minutes of the first show before I gave it up and went and found some serial radio episodes of the Flash Gordon uh, adventures from the 1930s. So I played those. And they got me thinking about uh, another movie serial from the 30s, Tarzan in the Green Goddess, starring Herman Bricks. Actually, I'd been thinking about it for a while, because at the 2007 Dum Dum in Louisville, Kentucky, we got to hear a very nice presentation from Mike Chapman, who is the author of the Herman Bricks biography, uh, Please Don't Call Me Tarzan. Tarzan. The book. I've lost the code book to the goddess. The book is safe, Tarzan. But how? Where? You dropped it when we brought you ashore. But Raglan made his escape with the goddess. We saw him headed downstream in a cayuca. Then I must hurry after him at once. What is this mango? Speak English. Black devil? Uh, take away. Mm, Senior Muslin. Senior George. Black devil? What do you mean? He means Queen Maya's monsters. The black robed emissaries of the high priest. Take your men and return to camp. 
And you? I'm going to try to pick up the trail. But Tarzan! So, for anyone who didn't make it to the Dum Dum this year, I thought I'd let you listen in on Mike Chapman's talk. And he began by mentioning Gordon Scott, another Tarzan actor who passed away this year. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to do something about Gordon Scott. I did bring Gordon Scott to the Dum Dum in Newton, Iowa in 1997. How many of you were there? And it was uh, quite an experience. Uh, Gordon uh, needs a little attention from time to time, but it was a, uh, it was a good experience, and I'm, I'm very honored to have known Gordon. And Jock Mahoney, I knew Jock Crook quite well, too. Uh, and I know Denny Miller. Now, some people say Herman Bricks was the best Tarzan, but Denny Miller is certainly the best-looking Tarzan, right? <laughs> I don't think there's anybody doubt about that, Denny. Let, let me reminisce just a little bit about Herman Bricks, because I did spend a considerable amount of time with him. I remember the first time I ever saw that Tarzan movie, Tarzan and the Green Goddess. I just wrestled a match in the United States Navy. And I won the match, and I was getting ready to wrestle my next match. And so I walked down a long hallway in San Diego at the training center, and I went into this room to be all alone to collect my thoughts. And there on the TV screen was a Tarzan movie. And it was somebody I'd never seen before. And I heard that famous cry that Mike just uh, repeated there. And I thought, holy cow, who is this guy? And I started watching him. The way he portrayed Tarzan was the way I wanted to see Tarzan portrayed so intelligent and lean and articulate, and he had a savage look to it, the way his hair was cut all the way around his head, and um, I'm a weightlifter, I've lifted weights for 45 years, and I still compete in, in senior meets from time to time, but he didn't have a bulky type weightlifting build, he had a lean, muscular build, and remember, Burroughs said Tarzan wasn't built like a blacksmith, he was built like a panther, with those long, supple muscles. So that, that image was in my mind for many years, and um, I didn't get a chance to think much more about it. And then one day, after I began my journalism career, and I was uh, in the midst of a 35-year newspaper career, and I'd written three or four books, Jack Bender, a good friend of mine who does the national LAU comic strip, said, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book about Herman Bricks slash Bruce Bennett? And I said, no, I really haven't, um, but I'm going to start thinking about it. So I tried to find out how to get a hold of him, and I wasn't having any luck at all. So I wrote the University of Washington, where he'd gone to college, and wrote their alumni association director, and uh, said, would you forward this letter to Herman Bricks, if you know where he's at? Well, about two months later, I got a handwritten letter from Herman Bricks, Bruce Bennett. And he said how nice the letter was, and how much he, and you've, a lot of you have had letters from Bruce Bennett, because he's very good about writing back to people. But I'd always heard he really resented his time as Tarzan because he had a lot of problems. And I'll, I talk about him at great length in the book, Please Don't Call Me Tarzan, and I'll share a couple of them here in a minute. So in the letter, he invited me, said, if you're ever out L.A. way, give me a call. Well, I had never been in L.A. in my life, but I was on the phone dialing him about an hour telling him I was going to be out in L.A. any time the next month because we'd get together for lunch. And uh, he did, uh, he was very gracious and said, yeah, why don't you come up to the office at the Wallace Moyer uh, Real Estate Agency, and I took him up on it and went up to the 10th floor, and the secretary was waiting for me, and she took me down the hallway, and there I am sitting in the office all of a sudden with Herman Bricks, and he'd agreed to give me about a half hour, and at the end of the half hour, I could see that his interest was waning, and, you know, he paid enough attention to this fan, and it was ready to get on to something else. But the key thing, then, that I brought up and that hooked him was I started talking about the Olympic Games. And his whole demeanor changed. The Olympics meant so much to him. 
and all of a sudden it clicked on him. He said, you're from Iowa and you're a wrestler. Do you know Dan Gable? Well, Dan Gable is the greatest wrestler in American history. He won the 1972 Olympics in Munich without having a single point scored on him, and Dan's one of my best friends. And I said, I was with Dan yesterday afternoon. He said, well, what's he really like? So we started talking about all the great Olympic athletes, and all of a sudden we've been there two and a half hours. And he says, you know, I got an appointment at 2 o'clock. Would you like to go with me? And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> so we hopped in the car, and he had a lunch appointment, and he introduced me to this guy. He said, Mike Chapman's from Iowa, and he's a wrestling expert. The guy says, well, do you know Dan Gable? And I said, yeah, I know Dan Gable. We stayed there until 5.15. So what was supposed to be about a half-hour meeting turned into about a five-hour meeting. So we started corresponding, and he was very good about writing back, and I'd always say something about the Olympic Games to assure that he'd write back. So after about, oh, at the end of that meeting, I said, you know, Bruce, have you ever thought about writing your biography? And he said, oh, no, you know, Mike, I was just an actor. It was just a job. I did it for 30 years and just had modest success. I was never a big star. And I said, but you live such an interesting life. Six-time national champion in the shot put, silver medalist in the Olympics, 1927 Rose Bowl, met Charlie Chaplin, Tyrone Power, Clark Gable, uh, considered by many the, the best Tarzan actor ever. Uh, served on the Screen Actors Guild with Ronald Reagan for six years. Uh, was in Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And he said, gosh, you do make it sound kind of exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, let me think about it. So we started corresponding, and I still couldn't get him to commit. So I, I, I left him alone for about three years, and out of the blue, I just wrote him a letter, and I was now the publisher of a newspaper in Ronald Reagan's hometown, Dixon, Illinois. And lo and behold, about a week later, my secretary says, there's somebody on the phone from California named Bruce Bennett, and he'd like to talk to you. So I got on the phone, and I said, hi, Bruce. And he says, you know, Mike, I've really been thinking. you really think my, my story has some, some value, some interest? And I said, yes, sir, I sure do. So we set up an arrangement, and I came out to L.A. I flew out there, and I met him every day in his home from noon to 6 o'clock. And he had, like, Ten scrapbooks that his mother had put together and that his wife Jeanette had put together, and he had not looked at them for 50 years. And oh, the last thing he said to me before I came over, he says, "Well, do you need anything? What's a, what's an author need?" And I said, "I drink a lot of Diet Coke, Bruce." <laughs> so when I get there, and he had a, a, a servant who helps him around the house, and I'd been there about 10 minutes, and the servant comes out with a six-pack of Diet Coke. <laughs> and I, I don't drink that much, uh, but we sat there for six days, and what a what an honor it was for me. I'd, we'd be, I'd say, hey, Bruce, look at this story here, what Jim Thorpe said about you. Or so. He was in the headlines constantly. He set the national record in the javelin for a while. There were three different sizes of the shot put. He set the national record in all three of them. He was a really good discus thrower. He was just good at everything he did. And, you know, I said, did you ever train with weights? He said, no, I never lifted weights at all. He said, my power came from my hips. But I would sit there sometimes at 3 or 4 in the afternoon, and I'd kind of lean back in my chair, and I'd look over there, and Bruce would be sitting. I'd hear him say, huh, I'll be done. Huh, I'll be done. He's turning the scrapbook, and I'd say, I'm sitting here with Herman Bricks going through his scrapbook. So at the end of six days, um, I went back to, to Illinois, and I finished the, the book. and uh, It came out. It's called Please Don't Call Me Tarzan. And it's his, his, he's got two children, Christopher, is uh, about 60 now and very successful in the financial world, and his daughter is Christina. He lives in a beautiful home, and he lived in a beautiful home in the old part of uh, the Alley Hills, and the home was owned by Agnes Moorhead uh, for many years. And I'll just share a couple things that, that Bruce told me that I, that I found very interesting. 
going down to Guatemala, he said, was a life-changing experience to make uh, New Adventures of Tarzan. He'd never seen poverty like that. The people were getting two cents a day, uh, the extras, and if they fought Tarzan, they got a nickel a day. They were real small people, and they kept following him around and tugging on him. He lost 20 pounds when he was there. I think the story that, that strikes me the most was, he said, one day it had been a brutal filming experience. They were going 17, 18 hours a day, living on a houseboat with almost no budget. Uh, he told his wife, Janet, who, uh, Jeanette, who had just married about six months earlier, that the checks would be coming from this new film company. And he was getting letters from her and said, well, they came the first two weeks, but it's now been eight weeks since we've gotten the check. So he's worried about his wife uh, back in the United States, not getting any money. He feels like he's not supporting her. And one day he's exhausted beyond belief. And he goes and he just collapses against this tree while they're shooting some other scene. And he sits on this big vine. All of a sudden the vine starts moving. And he looks down. He says, I'm sitting on a 24-foot anaconda. And he said, I jumped up and ran across that thing. He said, my hair was just standing out like that. And if they'd had the camera on, they would have seen Tarzan running for dear life. <laughs> that ever happened to you, Denny? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he, by the time he got back to the United States, he was um, pretty disillusioned about the movie world. Uh, as you know, MGM blocked the movie from uh, going through the movie theaters in America, but it was very popular in Europe, so most of his friends didn't see the movie. His brother Egbert, a year older, was always uh, picking on him uh, psychologically, and Egbert said, ah, the Tarzan star, huh? they can't even show your movie in America. There was always kind of a brother rivalry going on there. But as you know, he made some serials and uh, was typecast as Tarzan. Uh, the thing that turned him around was he went in, he got this big role, and I don't remember the movie, and on Friday night they said the role was his, and he came back Monday ready to go to work, and the guy held up a Life magazine. said, hey, there's a big picture in, in here of you as Tarzan. Is this you, Bricks? Says, well, yeah. He says, well, I can't use you. As soon as you come on the screen, people are going to say that's Tarzan. He says, hey, I'm an actor. I played a role. He said, that's too strong a role. He said, we don't want you. So he had to go home and think it through, and he changed his name to Bruce Bennett. And as you know, he made about 125 movies. Um, his favorite movies, I think, were The Man I Love, a little tiny movie he did with Ida Lupino, and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. How many people seen Treasure of the Sierra Madre? With Humphrey Bogart. And he was a big fan of Bogart. He said, you know, Bogart always said, this, uh, when he told uh, Humphrey, you get such negative publicity, and he said, hey, Bruce, bad publicity is better than no publicity. You always got to stay in the, in the limelight some way. And he said, uh, Humphrey was a prolific reader and was very intelligent and liked to put on airs uh, for the uh, Hollywood gossip columns and that, but he really liked him. He really liked Tim Holt, who was a big Western star. and was in, He thinks Tim could have had a terrific career. Uh, but Tim, he said, for just some reason, lost interest. He just wasn't wasn't interested in movies, and he really admired both the Houstons very much. Uh, Walter Houston, he said, was a was a pure uh, joy. He was married to the same woman, Jeanette, for 67 years, and that's pretty unusual in Hollywood. But that was part of what he says was the downfall of his career. But he had no regrets. He said, I'd much rather have had the marriage I had and the children I had than been the biggest star in the world. But he said when both him and Ronald Reagan had a lot of opportunities to go to the next level, that they would do certain things, uh, party more, be seen at certain places, do this and that, be on the yacht with John Ford like John Wayne did and do these things, and he just refused to do it. He said when the day work was done, I went home. 
He liked to do woodwork. He loved to be around his family. He was, he was just a terrific family man. He didn't make hardly any money from the movies, he said. There were no residuals and things like that. He was always looking to, to make money in between, and that's how he got involved in, in real estate. And late in his career, he made pretty good living off real estate. And he was very proud of his, of his son and his daughter. They really doted on him. Uh, he didn't like to go to autograph shows. I guess he came to a dum-dum in the 70s and was almost uh, frightened by the experience of people <laughs> coming to his table and, and, and wanting pictures and things signed. He went to two Hollywood collector's shows with me. Uh, and they get up to 70 or 80 celebrities uh, at a show. And the first show, um, we had a tough task, Bruce and I. We had to have Denny Miller sitting at our table. It was Denny Miller and my wife, Bev, and me and Bruce Bennett. And right next to us was Mr. Charming himself, David Carradine, <laughs> uh, with his dog, who kept laying under the table, passing gas and growling and burping. And Dave wasn't much better. <laughs> and across the, the row from us was Ed, was Ed Asner, who played Luke Grant. And uh, I was amazed at the number of people who came over to get Bruce's autograph and talk to him. Michael Connors, the actor. Hugh O'Brien came all the way around when he found I was there to shake his hand. Uh, Beverly Garland, Virginia Mayo, um, Barbara Eden, people. Bruce Bennett's here. Ed Cookie Burns from 77 Sunset Strip, who's become a good friend of mine. He just stared at us for a long time. He'd come over to me and he said, is that really Herman Bricks? I said, yes, that's my favorite Tarzan. That guy's unbelievable. That's really him? And I said, yeah. And he had such a good experience, um, uh, Bruce, that I brought him back a year later, and Bob Mathias came with us that year, two-time Olympic decathlon champion. And I will, I will say this, uh, Bruce really warmed up to it. He was, a, he was shocked by the amount of material that was coming his way. He said, where do these people get all this stuff? I can't believe it. And he was shocked at the interest that people had in him. But I will say this, uh, at the risk of embarrassing Denny, he really enjoyed his time with Denny Miller because he admired anybody that played for Johnny Wooden, and he knew Denny was a great athlete, and, and you should have seen Denny and him interacting. It was just terrific. And he really enjoyed meeting Bob Mathias. They sat around and talked about the Olympics and what it meant to them to be amateurs and how it's changed in them. He enjoyed late in his life, I think, the letters that he got. Uh, he called me up once and said, geez, I got 12 letters today from six different countries. I can't believe how many people remember me as Tarzan. The last time I saw Bruce, I went to his 100th birthday party in May 2006. Um, my wife and I were very, very honored to be invited. And as we drove up to the house, there were all kinds of balloons out in front. And Christina, his daughter, was waiting for us and came up and said, this means a lot to Dad that you came. And Bev and I walked into the living room, and I still have the image in my mind of Bruce Bennett sitting in the corner on a hot day with a blanket over his legs. And he was so thin and so frail that uh, I knew I wouldn't be seeing him again. And it was interesting to see people interact with him because his family from Washington, his nieces and nephews, all call him Herm. Hi, Herm. How are you, Uncle Herm? Hi, Uncle Herm. And the later people call him, or the people who've been around him for a long time, call him Bruce. And I went over and, and shook his hand and talked to him. And he grabbed my hand and he looked up and said, Mike, you and Beverly made it. I just, I'm just, that's just so wonderful. Um, I'm very proud of the book, Please Don't Call Me Tarzan, because it's keeping alive the memory of a very special human being. And I want to tell you what he wrote. I wrote 
some things. He said, we need to exchange books. You know, this was all the second to last time I got there, and I wrote some really glowing things in his book. And here's what he wrote in mine. This is all I wrote. Mike, if you hadn't written it, I wouldn't have believed it. Thanks a million to your friend, Herman Griffith. Thank you. That's going to wrap it up for show number 38. We will have just a few more tidbits from the 2007 Dum Dum on the next Dateline Jassoom. I'll talk to you then in two weeks. This is Elmo from the Barsoomian Blade Bureau in Chicago, signing off. <laughs> Guatemala, a strange and beautiful country many thousands of miles away.